there were. And uh, I think there are some PowerPoints, but whoever's back at the computer, but I don't remember what they are. And I failed to make a copy of them, so I have no idea when to click because I didn't uh, do too well in my preparation. I, I mean, I, I did prepare, but then I forgot to make a copy, so I don't know what I wrote. I don't remember. Okay. If it looks like I should just go to another slide, just because uh, I'm not sure. But uh, I want to focus uh, the time we have here this morning a little bit upon two things about the story of the wise men, that angle or that part of the Christmas story. And the one has to do with the fact that they journeyed to where Jesus was. And I want that to be an analogy for you and I. You know, when Jesus was born, where Jesus was born, these men were not there. So they had to come. And when they came from where they were to where Christ was, when they got there, well, first of all, Matthew says it like this. After Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king, wives men, or magi, magi, came from the east. They came. And when they got there, they came to Jerusalem, and they first ran into King Herod and some folks from the royal court, and they said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we have come. It's, it's a powerful thought. You have to come. So do you and I. You know, we're not born. If we want what it is that God offers to us through Christ, the friendship and the fellowship and the forgiveness and all these things that Christ makes available to us, if we want that, we got to come to where He is, just like the... In other words, this is a tremendous analogy, is what I'm trying to say, for us in our own personal modern day lives. Because uh, we also have to travel. You know, we're just like they were. Where we are when we're born, we are not where Christ is. The Bible actually says we're way off. You know, some of the terms that the Scripture uses are alien, um, stranger, far off, lost. In other words, in the condition, I'm talking now about spiritually. I'm not talking about geographic, but spiritual. In the condition in which we're born, there isn't a single one of us that are where Christ is. Or where we have to be in order to receive what we want to from God. So we ha- that means we have to move because he's not, He can't come where we are. We have to go to where He is. And that, this is my point, that's a journey. That is a journey. And you know, that's an amazing journey because since it's spiritual, you don't even have to leave your home. You don't even have to get up out of your chair, but you have to make a journey. And some people seem to make that journey very quickly. And they must just speed right away, speed quickly to where Christ is. And some people in their life, this is my observation, um, they take a step and they look around. They look back to where they were. 
And they look up there and they stop and they scratch their head. Somebody told me the other night at the Christmas program, they were worried about a dude that he had a candle in his hand and he starts scratching his head <laughs> with his candle going like this. <laughs> Whoever was sitting behind me, behind him said, I thought you were going to set the church on fire. He was scratching his head and he's got a lit candle. Anyway. Anyway, uh, you know, some people stop and scratch their head, and then they think a little, and then they take another step. In other words, some people make this journey very quickly. Some people, this journey is long and slow and kind of torturous. But my point is that that part is not the issue. The issue is, do you acknowledge and are you making the journey? To Christ. Do you acknowledge as these men did. That what he has and who he is. Is what you need. And you say I must go to Christ. With my life. With my decisions and so forth. <clears throat> uh, we, we have a long distance. Whether we move quickly or slowly. We have a long distance. That we have to travel with our heart and our mind, our attitude and our will. But like these men, we have to come. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into your glorious freedom and light. Jesus, I come. That's the journey. Jesus, I come to you. Out of, my, uh, out of the uh, fear and dread of the tomb, out of my sinful failure and loss, out of my pride, and the, I can't remember all the words of it, but the, the verse, that song just repeats this uh, phrase, out of this and into this, out of, the, out of the sadness and the sorrow and the mess of my life, into the structure and the freedom and the reward of God's life, I come, I make this journey. I'm, in other words, I... I I'm, I'm, I want this. And I'm moving towards this. The place where we are born, where we have to move out of, is a place of stubbornness and a place of selfishness and a place of sinfulness and a place of fearfulness and a place of ignorance and a place of arrogance. And you cannot meet Jesus there. If you want to find and encounter and embrace and be united with Jesus spiritually, you have to leave that place. And I'm not talking about a house, and I'm not talking about a dwelling, and I'm not talking about geography, but you have to move and leave where you were to make a journey to where Christ is. And so, that's what these dudes did. They made a decision to pursue. I remembered that one. I don't know how. They made a decision to pursue uh, the king of the Jews. That's where it starts with each person, with each and every one of us. This decision to pursue. You know, uh, these guys, I assume, were wealthy people because they brought lavish gifts. So I'm assuming they were quite, probably quite wealthy, but they realized with all that they had, there was something they didn't have. And they desperately wanted it. Because they realized with what they lacked, the things they had really still didn't amount to much. They needed what Christ brought and what He symbolized and what He uh, communicated to them 
There was something they didn't have, and they truly and genuinely and desperately wanted it so much so that they were willing to face any obstacle that a journey might represent. And I would love to stand here for an hour and talk about that journey, what it must have been like to them. I would love for us just to discuss it, because I guarantee we could sit here for an hour and just think about what were the obstacles that those men faced? What did this journey actually represent? Uh, uh, you know, to start with, how many people you think laughed at them? You're going where? You're, you're going, you're becoming what? Oh, you're going to be a Christian? You're going to follow Christ? Um, how many times do you think that in the midst of uh, maybe a desert sandstorm when they couldn't see the star in the moment, how many times do you think that they were uh, come close to quitting? Because they said, well, you know, I started out with good intentions and this was a desire of my heart, but boy, I don't know the way anymore. I'm not sure the direction and the guiding light that I thought I had is gone. I can't even see any. I mean, I'm sure there were many moments. How many times do you think they might have stopped at an oasis somewhere along the way and, and whoo, they were just tempted right and left to just stay? Wow, there's all kinds of amenities here. They've got, they've got soft beds and, and good music and good food and, They've got everything here. Why would I head? Why would I get back on and ride some more into the loneliness and the darkness of the night? Um, all kinds of obstacles. My point is to this journey. To start with, or, or including the fact that I'm sure there were those who thought they were crazy, but they were. They wanted to. They they wanted to pursue him. And so, they, they initiated, that's my point. If you're not a Christian today, it's only going to happen when you make the decision to become a Christian. You have to initiate that. You must say, uh, this is what I want, this is who I want to be, this is the destination I want to reach, and there is no other way but for me to journey towards Christ. It may mean that I have to learn a lot along the way, it may mean I have to... Uh, Give up some oasis and I can't stay there because I've, I need to keep moving on. Whatever it means, it's still, don't, it's still not going to happen unless you start the journey and you make that, initiate, uh, make that move to initiate, <clears throat> um, to reach Christ and know Christ. And, and this is because they wanted, and I, I also say to myself, what was their understanding? When they saw the star that they interpreted to mean King of the Jews, how was it that that gained such a deep and powerful hold on them that they set out on such a single-minded journey? I mean, when they got there, they wasn't they was in no mood to negotiate. They went right to the king and said, "Where's he at? Where is he?" That's born. I mean, they they wanted to get at it. They didn't want to mess around. And when Herod tried to sidetrack them and the and the, and the scholars tried to, you know, they just, they weren't going to be distracted because very single-mindedly, um, they wanted to be near Christ. They wanted to have what he had to offer. And the same thing has to be true of you and I. If we're going to get and gain what he has to offer. You know, Jesus uh, made a lot of promises. 
I just read through the Gospel of John myself. And just amazed at all the things that he said he's going to do for us and that he can do for us and that he offers to us. And, and, and he's the way to the Father and he offers us eternal life. And I say, wow, I want what Jesus has to offer. And I would also say this, if you don't want what he has to offer or you don't care about what he has to offer, you're in worse shape than you think. You're in worse shape than you can imagine. If these promises of Christ mean nothing to you, you really need to look at yourself in a mirror today and say, uh, where am I going? Um, When we really want something, as these men did, then we got to travel. If we if we if we have to travel, we're willing to travel to get it. You know, it amazes me. People drive uh, hours just to go to a certain restaurant. It just blows my mind because I'm more tight that way, I guess, or I'm more I'm more narrow minded, I guess. And I just think, well, you know, what's wrong with something around? But people get all excited. I I remember. I think I remember a story. Where's Jeannie Johnston? I think I remember a story of your sister Lou. Uh, like driving to Ocean City to get boardwalk fries or something like that? I mean, what I'm saying is, if you want something, you'll travel. You'll go on a journey to get it. And yet, how many folks won't even drive, you know, they'll drive to Ocean City to get a french fries, but they won't drive to a church on a Sunday morning. Because... Somehow or other, in their mind, they've dismissed that as something that uh, that they don't even... It, it, well, here's, let me say it like this. They know that the short drive to the church represents a spiritual journey that they really do not want to make. They know that they have to leave their home and make this journey, and I'm not talking about the place where they live. Listen, these fellows did not make this journey in a moment or a day. I, I, I don't know what other, I, I don't remember what other PowerPoints I have. Let me just, well, that, that's good. <laughs> that's good. You know, they didn't get there in a moment. In fact, the story says they came along later. I mean, it was, the shepherds were there and gone and uh, and so forth, but... These guys didn't, didn't get there for a while because this journey took, uh, this, this journey took some time. And what that says to me is an analogy to my life as a Christian and my pursuit of heaven and my pursuit of, of following Christ is that there has to be many, there's going to be many, many mornings when I pull my cold, exhausted, stiff, tired body up off of the hard, cold ground and climb onto a swaying, smelly camel, stinking camel, for another day or another night of this same thing, back and forth. They call them the ship of the desert, and I'm sure riding one is about like being, you probably get seasick, I imagine, from riding a camel. But they had to do this over and over and over because they didn't reach their destination immediately. Once they started out. And the same is true for us in life. This journey of ours towards Christ, towards heaven, it doesn't, it's, it lasts our whole life long. 
And we can start out in a good direction. Oh, bless your heart. Thank you, Carol. We can start out at here. She's got my PowerPoints. We can start out in a... I'm almost done. Anyway. We can start out in a good direction, but that's, that in itself doesn't mean much because, you know, as I said, we might uh, come to an oasis and say, oh, I like it here better than I think I would like the destination I was headed anyway. I'll just go sideways. And so this journey uh, of, of what I'm referring to here that they made um, is something that we have to keep at it every day. I'm sure there were times where they got discouraged. And they wondered, oh, where would the child be by the time they got there? Wherever there was. By the way, speaking of there, how about when? They didn't know the duration. Because they didn't know the destination. But what they knew was... What they knew was that the destination would determine the direction they went. So they weren't sure even where it was, but they knew who they were seeking. That's why when they came, they were very positive about one thing. They didn't know where. They said, where is he? But the he was the part that they were very sure about. You know, it always interests me. They didn't come and say, has somebody been born king of the Jews? No. What they said was, where is the one who has been born? I mean, they, you know, some people, in other words, if I can back up a second, some people make this journey and they focus on the trepidation and the fear and the uncertainty. Well, I'm a Christian, but oh, it's rough and I don't know. And, and, and they just somehow manage to focus mostly on the things that are uncertain and the things that are feel, kind of feeds their fears and their doubts. I don't take it these men were like that. When they came in there, I see them walking in there with confidence, and they said, where is he at? The one who has been born king of the Jews. And in other words, they were looking at the side that's filled with love, the side that's filled with faith. This journey, in other words, with all of its obstacles and with all of its uncertainties, didn't deter them a moment from what they were certain about. And that's what they focused on. Uh, they couldn't control a lot of stuff. And they didn't even know where they were going and where they would end up. But they said, we know who we're looking for. And this is, this is the, our destination is a person, not a place. And my point is, with this I'm done, that is that um, with this part, there's another part. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is essential. This is important. This is the Christian life. I'm not sure any of us know exactly when and how all this is going to end. And I'm sure the wise men felt those, that same way. But with the help of that star, they knew the direction that they needed to go. And we also have a star to guide us. And we, we know the direction that we need to go because we know what our destination is. So Christmas means that God is available to us, but it also means... We have to journey, make a journey to meet Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the music. Uh, we thank You for the, the, the colors and the flowers and the celebrations of Christmas. But let us never forget at the same time 
that the heart of Christmas contains the truth of travel. And that each of us in our own lives, in our own heart, in our mind, in our attitude, our will, we, we have to sit out on a journey to bow down before you. Believing as we do, certain as we are, that in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And in you is the hope of eternal life. And that when we have seen you, we have seen the Father. And therefore, out of our bondage and our sorrow and our night, we come, we travel. Just uh, let this morning and let this Christmas moment and this event that we celebrate yesterday and this today, let it speak that, thus to us and, and motivate us on that journey. We pray, I ask, in the name of Christ. Amen. Can we sing? Let's stand. It's 136. We'll do verses 1, 2, and 6.
take a moment to greet each other before you sit. I'm going to ask the children, any children who are here would like to come up to the front bench for a moment. Any youngsters? Right here on the front bench. This is for the youngsters. So what do you do with glue? What do we do with glue? You stick it something to something else. That's right. Um, this is glue. But this is a different kind of glue than most of the glue that you will buy at the, at the store. And the reason is that this looks like this this looks like a bottle but it's really two parts I don't know maybe I can cut this off here I'm not sure if we can if we can see this a little better oh uh, it's I, I can't get it off because it's sticking to it this is I wanted to show you this is really there can you see it's really two, it's really two tubes there it's, it's not just one now can you see it Did you ever see glue like this It's called it has a special name it's called epoxy And these are two different things completely What's in this tube is not the same thing as what's in this tube They're very different in fact, the one is just the part that kind of is thick and sticky, and that's called the resin. The other part is a chemical, and all it does is it goes into the resin and it makes it hard. So this glue not only sticks stuff together, it gets really hard. Yes? That's how you make glue. Well, probably so, but... But here's what I want to show you. I'm going to take the cap off here. What? <laughs> you ever take a cap off a glue bottle? Come on. This is a little tray here. Now, I'm going to squirt some out. This is not lethal. 
And I want you to see these two different, these two different pieces of glue. See them? They're coming. You see they're different colors. See this one's darker and this one's lighter. You see that? Can you see how the one the one tube is darker than the other? Isn't that cool? And, and even all right, that's enough for now. Even even when you put them on there, how does that go back? Oh. Even when you put them on here, you can still see them laying. You see how this is dark and that's light. And what you do to make this glue work is you have to stir that up, and you have to you have to make these two all together, and you stir it up, and you stir it up. And that way, the hardener is going in the resin, and it's all coming together. And let me tell you, when that stuff gets dry, you can stick something together. And if I'll just stick that in there. When I come back to get it, I won't be able to get it out. It'll be hard as a rock. I'll have to just tear it out or something to get it off. Now, epoxy is pretty cool stuff because it's way different than normal glue. And this, to me, is a picture of Jesus. When he was born at Christmas time, that means that the nature of God was given a human body. And these two both came together at Christmas time. And so, this is why people didn't understand Jesus very well, because he was really two natures mixed together. And they said, you can do what? You were in heaven before Abraham was born? I don't think so. And Jesus said, sure. I'm not just human, you know. I'm also God mixed together with human. And some people would say to him, well, you don't, under, you don't understand what I'm going through. Have mercy on me. And Jesus would say, sure, I understand. I'm not just God. I'm human, you know. Because it's all mixed together. And this is really what it means when we look at that little scene up there and we see that moment when Jesus was born in the stable. It was when the divine and the human merged together into one. And when they, when they truly... There's nobody like Jesus ever. And when that came together into one, now God can understand what we go through. But also, we can, um, we can know that God loves us because He became one like us. It's pretty amazing. And it's pretty wonderful. And that's sort of a picture of it. Isn't that cool? Thank you. You can go back. Who wants to sing bass? I got two. I got two guys. Oh, oh. I'm sorry. You're. You're. Never mind. <laughs> do. Do. Do what you want. There. Go ahead. Keep it going. There we are. Hey. All right. Uh, we're going to sing a worship song. It's a new one. Um, but we'll sing it again next Christmas, so <laughs> it'll work out real well. So you have time to practice. Um, but if you want to just stay seated, that's fine. 
Or you can stand. Or you can stand. Whatever you want to do. Whatever you would like. Go tell it on the mountain The one that we've been waiting for The King of our salvation Born on this day our Savior Christ the Lord Go tell it on the mountain Over That we can be forgiven The weight of all our sin He came to bear Emmanuel, God with us Emmanuel, King Jesus The Savior of the world is born Emmanuel, God with us Emmanuel The Savior of the world is born. Go tell it on the mountain. Humbly in a manger lay. Mercy sent from heaven. Angels fill the sky with highest praise. Emmanuel, God with us, Emmanuel, King Jesus, the Savior of the world is born. Emmanuel, God with us, Emmanuel, King Jesus, the Savior of the world is born. Go tell it on the mountain. This baby born of virgin birth, the ruler of all nations, the glory of our God has come to earth. Emmanuel, God with us, Emmanuel, King Jesus, the Savior of the world is Emmanuel, God with us, Emmanuel, King Jesus, the Savior of the world is born, the Savior of the world is born, the Savior of the world is born. Amen. Okay, I think uh, we're going to do another song here. So, Barry, you like to come back up here again? This one could use a quartet. Anybody want to do, a, anybody else want to sing with these guys? They're going to sing, Good Christian Men Rejoice. Any other guys? We'll stick with guys here since it's Good Christian Men.
Want to sing? As I said, we're informal here today. I can do it. of the gifts. The story has been told for centuries now how Gaspar, Melkor, and Balthazar brought gifts to the newborn king. Ah, you say, everyone knows that. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so it has been told. But the story is incomplete. Listen to the rest. You shall learn the secrets of the gifts. Those who watched saw the first of the three visitors pause at the door. Gaspar, a wealthy man with a cloak of fine velvet, 
trimmed in flawless fur. They could not see that it was the angel Gabriel guarding the holy place before whom Gaspar stopped. Struggling to lift a finely wrought box, Gaspar said, I have, I'm sorry, I missed a line. All who enter must bring a gift, Gabriel told Gaspar. Struggling to lift a finely wrought box, Gaspar said, I have brought bars of the finest gold. Your gift, Gabriel said, must be something of the essence of yourself, something precious to your soul. Such as I have brought, Gaspar said. But as he kneeled to lay his gold before the child, he stopped and stood erect. In his outstretched hand lay not gold, but a hammer. Its scarred and blackened head was larger than a man's fist, its handle of sinewy wood as long as a man's forearm. Gaspar stammered, dumbfounded. The angel said softly, What you hold in your hands is the hammer of your greed, used to pound wealth from those who labor so that you may live in luxury, till build a mansion for yourself while others dwell in hovels. Gaspar bowed his head in shame and turned to leave. But Gabriel blocked his way. No, you have not offered your gift. Give this, Gaspar blurted in horror, not to a king. This is why you came, Gabriel said. You cannot take it back. It's too heavy. Leave it here or it will destroy you. Why, the child cannot lift it, Gaspar protested. He is the only one who can, replied the angel. Next to step to the door was Belcor, a scholar with the length of his beard and furrows of his brow to bespeak the wisdom of age. He, too, paused before the door. What have you brought, asked Gabriel. Frankincense. The fragrance of hidden lands and bygone days, Melchor replied. Your gift, cautioned Gabriel, must be something precious to your soul. Melchor stood breathless, kneeling reverently down to draw from beneath, from beneath his robe a silver flask. But the vessel in his hand was not silver at all. It was common clay, rough and stained. Aghast, he pulled the stopper from its mouth and sniffed the contents. This is vinegar, Melkor snarled. You have brought what you are made of, Gabriel said, bitterness. The soured wine of a life turned grim with jealousy and hate. Carried within too long the memory of old hurts, hoarded resentments, and smoldering anger. You have sought knowledge, but filled your life with poison. Melkor's shoulders drooped. Turning his face away, he humbled to hide the earthen jar. Gabriel touched Melkor's arm. Wait, you must leave your gift. Melkor sighed with deep pain from within. But this is vile stuff, he protested. What if the child should touch it to his lips? You must leave that worry to heaven, Gabriel replied, 
There is use even for vinegar. One more visitor strode forward, Balthazar, the leader of many legions and the scourge of walled cities. He grasped a brass-bound box. I bring myrrh, he said, the most precious booty of my boldest conquest. Many have fought and died for such as this, the essence of a most rare herb. But it is it but it is the but is it the essence of yourself, Gabriel asked. The shoulder the soldier shuffled forward, bowing his head near the ground, and releasing his grip on the handle of the box. But what lay before the baby's feet was his own sphere. It cannot be, he whispered hoarsely. Some enemy has cast a spell. That is more true than you know, Gabriel said from behind. A thousand enemies have cast their spell on you and turned your soul into a spear. Living only to conquer, and you have been conquered. Each battle you win leads only to another. Balthazar grasped the weapon and turned to the door. I cannot leave this. Are you sure? Gabriel asked. But here, the warrior whispered, he is but a child. A spear could pierce his flesh. That fear you must leave to heaven, Gabriel replied. What of the gifts, you ask? The hammer, vinegar, and spear? Another story tells how they were seen once more years later on a lonely hill outside Jerusalem. But do not worry. That is a burden heaven itself took care of as only heaven can. Hundred and twenty five years ago, a guy named uh I don't know, he had a name. He wrote a story called The Other Wise Man, Van Dyke. Uh, I forget his first name. He wrote a story called The Other Wise Man. Sometimes it's called The Fourth Wise Man. It's been made into movies, uh, plays, operas, and everything else. Very, very, very popular story because it's very moving. And also because there is no precondition or there is no, uh, there's no exact reason that it couldn't be true. Although it's probably not true, uh, it could have happened something like this. And very briefly... The story that Van Dyke tells is about another guy, a fourth Magi, who was one of those men there in Persia. His name was Artaban in the book, in the story. And uh, somehow or other, when they got this caravan together to come and cross the desert towards Jerusalem, where they saw this mysterious star, Artaban, who had interpreted the same thing, and he was excited to go. In fact, he sold his possessions, and he... And he distilled everything down into three precious jewels. He had a sapphire, he had a ruby, and he had a pearl. And this was worth, in other words, the value of his whole life. And uh, on his way to meet with the larger group of magi who were going to make the trip, Artaban came across a dying man. And he stopped to help this man because he had a compassionate soul. And by the time he got done with this and he got to where this group was going to meet, they'd already left. And he missed him. 
And he desperately wanted to give these gifts to this child who had been born from what he interpreted from stars. But all he had was a horse and he knew he could never cross the desert with a horse and he didn't know what to do in his desperation. He took the sapphire and exchanged it with some merchants for a camel and supplies to cross the desert. So now Artaban only has the ruby and the pearl because the sapphire has gone. He makes this long journey by himself in the wake of the other three, gets finally to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem only to find that not only had the his buddies been there and left ahead of him, but so had the holy family. As he's talking with the young lady there who has an infant and is telling him this story, how these visitors came and left, uh, they went to Egypt. And Artaban missed him. Just then, while he's talking to her, there's a great noise and confusion in the streets and soldiers begin to burst into her house, this woman with this young baby. It is Herod's purge of Bethlehem where he's killing off the babies. And Artaban realizes that this baby is going to be killed right in front of his eyes. And he leaps to his feet to the, to the door and he whips out the ruby and he gives it to the soldier. And he says, this ruby says, I am the only person in this house. And the soldier gets the message, takes this very valuable pearl and leaves them in peace. So now this man, Artaban, is down to only one of his treasures because uh, his one has purchased him supplies for the journey, and his second one then has saved the life of one of the babies of Bethlehem. But he's crestfallen and he's heartbroken. He hears that Jesus and his parents have gone to Egypt, and so he makes the journey to Egypt. And the, the story goes on that for the next 33 years, Artaban searches for Jesus and Joseph and Mary. And he goes from one place to another, always asking the question, and he's always sort of trailing behind. He's just the... The, the guy who never quite got up to where the action is. He's always just, uh, you know, just behind it. 33 years pass, and eventually, 33 years later, he winds up in the city of Jerusalem, and it's on the eve of the crucifixion. Of course, he's piecing this thing together. He's following this trail like a detective, and, uh, and he has only this pearl left, and he realizes that this is the Christ, the one he has been pursuing his whole life. And he's at last he's going to be able to give this pearl to him. And this is the uh, culmination of his life when he is confronted by a situation where a woman is being sold into slavery. And in front of his eyes, this, is, this crime is unfolding. And Artaban, in his compassion, uh, don't know what else to do but to offer this pearl to buy this woman. And he purchases her from the seller who is in the process of selling her to slavery. And he purchased her and then he sets her free. But alas, he has now given all his life's possessions. All of his wealth is all gone. He has nothing to show for it. He did not get to present it to Christ. And then in the story that Henry Van Dyke tells, there's an accident and Artaban is killed. And... Following that moment of death, he stands before the Lord and he's crushed and he's crestfallen. And he says to the Lord, I never got to give my gifts. I never got to give my gift to Christ. And the Lord says, oh, but you did. It's a, a, a very powerful story. 
And it illustrates kind of what Holly just read and what I wanted to say to close this service. You know, they did bring gifts, these guys. They brought gifts. But the value of those gifts, even though they're listed as very valuable type commodities, the value of those gifts, I think I have this in that little paragraph in your bulletin, is not in the market assessment or the market assessment. The value of those gifts is in the fact that they chose them and they persevered to bring them. And they, they were determined to do whatever was necessary to make that gift available. That's the value of that gift. So the question, if we use this as an analogy to our life, is of course, well, what for us? And, and, and what is the gift that we bring? Now, we say, as humans, we often look at our lives and we make an effort. And we say, well, you know, I give to Christ my time. I give to Christ my, my tithe or my ability, my talents, whatever. And uh, I, think, I think that the, sh- the Lord must surely be blessed by these gifts that we give to him, these kind of personal gifts. But I also want to just prod you for a moment to think about this. Could it be, and does it sometimes happen, that even these wonderful personal gifts are sort of a tax. Or we sort of look at them like, well, we owe it. I got to do it. Uh, it's what he expects. So I guess, you know, I'll sing with the choir or I'll put in my 10 bucks in the offering or, or whatever. I will do these things uh, more or less out of expectancy and expectation. I'll, I'll do these things that really are meaningful and they are valuable and they're valuable to me. I mean, nothing's more valuable than my time and and I will uh, give my time to help this person in the name of the Lord. There's nothing wrong with these. And I'm saying, I think surely these must be a blessing to God and he must rejoice in it. But I think that in the story that Henry Van Dyke wrote, the essence and the reality comes through so strong that it wasn't the pearls and it wasn't even the time or the pearls and the rubies and it wasn't even the time that he spent and the search that he spent trying to give that to Christ that was the ultimate gift. And when he, you know, when he died and he stood up there and he said, I didn't get to get my gift. It's when the Lord turned the tables and clarified to him, oh, but you did. What you did to the least of these, my brother, you did it unto me. And... So I ask you, and all of us today, what is the actual gift? What is the true gift that we bring and can give? We can measure it. We can chop it up and assess it in terms of human value or money value or uh, value in hours or days. And, you know, we can try to assess uh, different, it, it in different ways. But let me tell you. None of those things are the gift. Here's the gift. When Jesus said, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's, that's the gift. That's our challenge. And these men, in, in, in their 
a remarkable story. I, I just love to explore it and think about it. It's amazing. I think demonstrate to us so well and challenge us so deeply about our gift. O oh Lord, 